Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Good morning. I'd like to begin with a poem I discovered a few years ago. It's a a poem about a Thanksgiving turkey written from the perspective of this young turkey. It goes this way. When I was a young turkey, new to the coop, my big brother Mike took me out on the stoop. Then he sat me down and he spoke real slow and he told me there was something that I had to know. His look and his tone I will always remember when he told me the horrors of Black November. Come about August, now listen to me, each day you'll be thick where once you were thin and you'll grow a big rubbery thing under your chin. And then one morning, when you're warm in your bed, it'll burst the farmer's wife and hack off your head. Then she'll pluck out all your feathers so you're bald and pink and scoop out all your insides and leave you lying in the sink. And then comes the worst part, he said, not bluffing. She'll spread your cheeks and pack your rear with stuffing. Well, the rest of his words were too grim to repeat. I sat on the stoop like a piece of wing, a wing piece of meat, and decided on the spot that to avoid being cooked, I'd have to lay low and remain overlooked. I began a new diet of nuts and granola, high roughage salads, juice, and diet cola. And as they ate pastries, chocolates, and crepes, I stayed in my room doing Jane Fonda tapes, which kind of dates this a little bit. I maintained my weight of two pounds and a half and tried not to notice when the bigger birds laughed. But t'was I who was laughing under my breath as they chomped and they chewed ever closer to death. And sure enough, when Black November rolled around, I was the last turkey left in the entire compound. So now I'm a pet in the farmer's wife's lap. I haven't to worry, so I eat and I nap. She held me today while sewing and humming and smiled at me and said, Christmas is coming. (laughs) Perhaps the turkey's not so safe after all. I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. It starts uh, when the temperatures get a little bit cold in the morning where you walk outside and it's just just so crisp, you know, so refreshing. And then the leaves begin to change color, and I just love that part of the year when the, when the leaves are changing. I just feel like that's a little extra bonus that God gave in creation, just for, just for our enjoyment to see that happen. And then we come to some holidays like Thanksgiving, and I really love Thanksgiving, and then pretty soon you're at Christmas. And I even like the, the snow that appears during this time of year. I know that probably won't make me very... Uh, well accepted here for those of you that don't like snow, but um, I still think it's much better than having like a a rainy winter, to have a little bit of snow out there, although I have to confess it's getting worse each year in terms of whether I want to drive in it or not. But this is just a wonderful time of year. And as we're approaching Thanksgiving, I think it's just great to take some time to think about giving thanks. As Adam mentioned, we want to talk this week about the thanks part of Thanksgiving and then next week about the giving part because I think there's a joy that's associated with having open hearts toward other people. But today we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. My takeaway is we need to keep thanks in Thanksgiving, but 
The main word I'm focusing on today is not actually going to be thankfulness or thanksgiving, but gratitude. And, and maybe that's a synonym of thanksgiving, but there's a little bit of a difference between that word gratitude and the word thanksgiving, as we'll see in a minute, because gratitude involves a couple components that maybe are not always present with thanksgiving. Now, I think these days people are struggling to be thankful. As we look at the world in which we're living here today, I think we live in kind of difficult and rather unusual times. COVID is still a mystery. I think there's still a lot of question marks about even celebrating the holidays. Some are bringing that up, and our country's still kind of divided over things like the vaccine mandate and things like that. There are wars and rumors of wars in our society. I see a lot of countries doing posturing right now, and there are just so many questions about the, even the future of the world and things like that, and so I do think that we struggle to be thankful, and yet this is what God calls us to be, thankful people. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul wrote, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I struggle with some of the words here because I like the rejoice part, but it says rejoice always. That, you get to the always part, you know, and then pray without ceasing or pray constantly as the idea of always being in a, a state where you're ready to pray. Give thanks in everything. There, it's, there it is again, everything. And then it goes on to say this is God's will for us. And I wonder why would, why would this be God's will for us? Well, this little phrase in Christ Jesus sums it up. It's because we're in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, really, we're set. We have a lot for which we can be thankful and joyful. And I think when we're thankful, it speaks to a world that desperately needs Christ. And so the last series we did had to do with finding joy in uncertain times. And two of the verses we looked at were Philippians 4, 4, and 5, where again we read, rejoice in the Lord always, but there's the phrase in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, let your graciousness, that word means a forbearing spirit, or your put up with itness, which isn't a word, but your ability to put up with people and things. Let your forbearing spirit, your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. And I think that phrase means he's near as in close by, but I think it also is pointing to the fact that his return is near. And when you know that he's coming back soon, it allows you to persevere through a lot of different things, remembering that Christ is coming back. One day there'll be a new heaven, there'll be a new earth. Can we persevere? Can we make it through this time until we get to that place? But I think it's possible for us to be thankful and grateful and to express joy despite the things we're facing. But this word gratitude is a word we center on maybe at, Christ, or at Thanksgiving here. Merriam-Webster offers this definition. Gratitude is a feeling of appreciation or thanks. I'm disappointed with that definition. I don't think it goes nearly far enough. I don't think it's just a feeling. A feeling of appreciation or thanks. There's more to it than that. When I was going online, just kind of looking at the subject, there was one person's name who came up repeatedly. The name just kept popping up in my search engine. The person's name was Robert Emmons. Emmons. He came up because he's regarded as the leading scientific expert on the subject of gratitude. Didn't even know there was such a thing. But he's an expert on, on gratitude. 
And he indicates that there are two things that are necessary for something to be gratitude or for us to express gratitude. The first thing is there, there's got to be something good or something that you're grateful for, some blessing in your life, some positive thing. And second, there has to be a recognition that you are blessed because of someone else. That's why we express gratitude, because we don't feel we deserve it. The Greater Good magazine summarizes Emmons' position from his article, Why Gratitude is Good. First, it's an affirmation of goodness. We affirm that there are good things in the world, gifts and benefits we've received. And second, we recognize that the sources of this goodness are outside of ourselves. It's what leads to gratitude. He goes on to say it could be other people, or he could attribute it, he said, to a higher power, but we would say it was God. But we recognize we're blessed, but we don't deserve it. Someone else simply puts it this way, gratitude is an emotion we feel in response to receiving something good which is undeserved. And so if we want to have gratitude or thankfulness, we've got to first of all be able to see the good that we have, which is a problem these days. I think we have trouble seeing the good. We have, we have trouble just celebrating the good, enjoying the good, but then recognizing that it's something we didn't earn, it's something we don't deserve. And so when you get like a, a paycheck, you're not grateful. I mean, you might be grateful to God for the paycheck, but you're not really grateful to your employer, employer usually because you figure, I earned it. Paycheck comes, you're glad for the money because you need to pay your bills, but there's not necessarily gratitude. But if suddenly a $10,000 deposit appeared in your account and you know you didn't deserve it and somebody out of the kindness of their heart gave that to you, you'd be filled with gratitude. You say, I didn't deserve that. And oftentimes gratitude will just flood our soul. Now today I want to look at a story. It's found in Luke chapter 17. This particular story is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And it's a story about gratitude and a lack thereof. And there are certain details in this story that will help us understand gratitude more clearly. It's Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. We read, while traveling to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now let's talk a little bit about this story. And I'm going to throw in a lot of details of the story because they're kind of hidden in the story. Some of them I'm just assuming to be the case. In this story, though, we find Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem. That little detail, I think, is significant for this reason that we know that when he gets to Jerusalem, He's going to be arrested. We know that he's going to be tried. We know that he's going to be crucified. And this was on his mind because of the conversations that he had with his disciples around this story. We know that he was thinking that. And yet, he still had compassion for these 10 
people with the skin diseases. And, and this is characteristic of Jesus all along. I mean, I, I think of him on the night he was betrayed, kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples. I would have been so consumed with what I was about to go through, it would have been hard for me to think about their needs. But Jesus was always thinking of the needs of other people. So he's heading with his disciples to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, these 10 guys with skin diseases, some of your versions of the Bible maybe say leprosy, 10 guys with leprosy, call out to him. You know, Jesus, master, you know, have mercy on me. Now, the Greek word that's used for leprosy or skin diseases here is in the New Testament, a word that's used for a variety of skin conditions, although they'd be serious ones. Now, Dr. Stein puts it this way, this almost certainly does not refer to Hansen's disease or what most people today understand as leprosy. It most probably was some sort of skin disease, such as psoriasis, which caused inflammation and scaly, splotchy sin, or skin. Victims of leprosy in biblical times were ostracized from cities and towns and from interaction with others. Regardless of what it was, it was serious. If it, were, if it was psoriasis, it was really, really a very bad case. These were people that were not allowed to be in the presence of other people. These were people that, were, according to the Old Testament law, if someone came near, they were supposed to shout out, unclean, unclean, so no one would get any closer. And on this occasion, they shout out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, most of the occasions in the Gospels when Jesus came across somebody with leprosy or a skin disease like this, the text indicates that he, he actually touched them, which was contrary to the Old Testament law as well, except if you're Jesus. Jesus was in the business of making unclean things clean. Nothing could contaminate Jesus. So he'd get right in there. And of course, this is what he wants to do to us as well. Jesus does. He wants to make us clean in our uncleanness when we put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We're declared by God to be clean, not guilty. And that's what Jesus wants to do. But on this occasion, Jesus didn't touch them like he usually did. He just said, go show yourselves to the priests. Well, that might seem like an odd request. You know, they're saying, please heal me. And he says, go to church, kind of. I mean, that's what it would be like in our culture here. But they understood what he was saying. They understood that he was saying, you're going to be healed. That's why they took off. And the reason I say that is that in the Old Testament law, if you were healed of a skin disease, you were required to go see the priests. And the priests would be the ones who would declare you to be clean. And once they declared you to be clean, you'd be free to go back home and be with your family. And you'd be able to go back to the temple and everything else. So when Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests, it was really a test of their faith. Did they believe that if they left, that he would heal them? And of course, he did. He healed them. Now, all of these guys demonstrated faith. And all of them were healed although the response of the guys was different, the different responses. Now, I want to suggest here that they were healed fairly early on. In fact, there's some evidence that the, uh, the nine of the guys who would have been presumably Jewish went to the temple in Jerusalem, and the one went to the temple in Samaria because they had the same laws about this. So they probably did separate, and I suspect that when the Samaritan saw that his skin had become like that of a baby, 
which is how it's described in the Bible when someone was healed by God of skin diseases. It was just beautifully fresh. When he saw it, if he had been with the others, he might have said, come, let's go back. But I think he was on his own. But he chose to go back and he found Jesus. Now, I want to suggest again, it was very, they didn't go very far. It might have been four or five blocks. It might have been as far as a half a mile. You say, well, why does that matter? I mean, what's the point of how far it was before they were healed? Well, I want to suggest that these nine guys had no excuse for not coming back. I know that it was fairly soon after they left that they were healed because the Samaritan was able to come back and find Jesus and the disciples. If an hour had passed, for example, they would have been long gone. But this Samaritan realized he was healed. I'm guessing again, he had gone less than a half a mile. Suddenly he sees he's healed and he goes back and he found Jesus. Now I want to make three observations about gratitude from the story here. The first one is, is that gratitude begins with seeing properly. Gratitude is born out of seeing properly. It's kind of like what we've already talked about, seeing both the blessings and the grace of God behind it, the fact that it's not deserved. And I think this was the thing that set apart the Samaritan from the others. Let's read verses 16 and 17 again. One of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, we're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Now, why I make this point about the Samaritan coming back? Well, I believe that he was the one that felt the greatest gratitude. And by the way, in these verses, I just love the expression of gratitude. It says, what does it say? He called out with a loud voice, gave glory to God. I mean, this guy is shouting. I mean, he's probably jumping up and down. He said, glory to God, look, look. I mean, he was just so filled with gratitude. Then he comes to Jesus, and it says he falls completely face down. And probably in worship, I think he understood who Jesus was even here. He was filled with gratitude. But it raised the question, why, why, why weren't the others? And I'll tell you why, because he was a Samaritan. I think he's the only one that realized, I don't deserve to be healed. The others didn't deserve it either. They just didn't see it. All of them, of course, saw that they had been healed all of them would have been wouldn't glad about it, but you see, Samaritans were looked down upon in, in that society at that time by the Jewish people. Samaritans were Gentiles or non-Jews who had married Jews. They were intermixed, and so their bloodline wasn't pure. And so pure Jewish people would look at Samaritans and despise them. They wouldn't even, they, they would not eat from a utensil that a Samaritan had held, you know. And we find, of course, this Samaritan, the story began by saying that Jesus and his disciples were walking between Samaria and Galilee, and so they were walking in an area between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And the fact they're all together shows something, too, because normally they would have despised each other, but their, their common, horrible condition brought them together on this occasion. And so they're all there with this condition, but I believe that this Samaritan realized that Jesus was a Jewish prophet, 
realized that he did not deserve to be healed. I mean, this is the only thing that explains why he did what he did, that he would just be shouting out to God, I can't believe it, I've been healed. The others, I think the others thought, well, yeah, Jesus is a Jewish prophet. You know, I'm glad I'm healed. Let's go get dinner. I, don't, I, don't see, I just don't see the gratitude there because I think they thought they deserved it. Well, well yeah, I'm, you know, he was a Jewish prophet, we're Jewish. And they did not understand, but the starting point is to see it. See the good that you have. And then see that it is not deserved. Second point related to the story is that God expects us to express gratitude for his goodness to us. It's not just a nice thing to do. God expects it. Jesus expected it. Doesn't the very question that he asked this Samaritan prove it in verse 18, where Jesus said, didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? I mean, where, where, where are all the others? It's clear that there was an expectation that Jesus had. They should have come back. And I, I want to say, yes, they should have come back. But again, I don't believe that they had the gratitude that they should have. I mean, they were glad they were healed. They, they, the gratitude was the thing that I think that was missing. And that's a problem. Several uh, Christmases ago, I delivered some presents to a family in Morgantown that was very needy. I did not buy the presents. Someone else bought the presents, but there were a lot of them. There were presents for everyone in the family, a father, mother, the two children. They were presents that the family specifically requested, and they were things the family could not afford, and, and they were practical things, but they were fun things as well, toys and things. And the cost of the presents was $1,000 or more. And I, again, I didn't buy the presents. Someone else was supposed to deliver them, but uh, they couldn't. And so I said, well, I'll go ahead and take them to this family. And so I drove a, a car full of presents to this family. And I knocked on the door. I said, I'm here to deliver the, the presents. And they opened the door, and the guy like, pointed in the corner. He said, just put them down over there, like that. And so I put them down in the corner, and, and I was kind of getting ready to leave. I said, well, I hope you guys have a nice Christmas or whatever. I don't remember what he said. What I remember is what he didn't. I don't remember him saying thank you. It's possible that he said thank you. He and his wife were both there. It's possible they said thank you. What I know for sure is that when I walked away, the thought in my mind was, where is the gratitude. I, I, it's like, it was like, it was like you're entitled to get these things or what? This was making the difference between them having presents to open on Christmas or not. They should have been filled with gratitude, but it just was not there. It was just missing. And it reflects a problem. When we're not able to express gratitude, sometimes children of wealthy parents will get all these gifts, but there'll be no gratitude. Why? Because they don't see the cost of the gifts. They don't see the value. They don't see the sacrifice. They don't see someone else work for it. They think they deserve it. But when someone receives something they don't deserve, you know, or they don't see it, you know, the greatest expression of joy I've ever seen in my life was the day I was in Central America driving through a village that didn't even have paved streets, it was just dirt everywhere, and I saw some kids playing in the dirt along the side of the road, filthy. You know, like, was it Linus? Filthy. 
and we had some, in our, in our car, we had some chocolate bars, Hershey's, which I knew these kids would not be able to afford Hershey's besides the fact they melt in that temperature, but we had some Hershey's. So we rolled down the window, would you like some candy? Which I realize in our country, you, you don't do that. <laughs> I, I get it. But um, they said, yeah, and I, I gave them the candy, and this kid, he became like a cherub. His joy, he just was filled with joy. I could have given him a million bucks, he wouldn't have reacted any more wonderfully than he did there. He was so thankful, so grateful, so appreciative, and I thought, why is that? These kids could get all these things and have no gratitude, but this kid over here gets half, breaks a candy bar with his friend or gets a candy bar and he just is so filled with gratitude. But when we've received things we don't deserve, we should express gratitude. The Apostle Paul spoke pretty strongly about this in Romans 1. He talks about the fact that God created everything and everyone knows it. I mean, that's what Romans 1 indicates. People really do know it. You know, if, if we don't believe in a creator God, it's not a head issue, it's, it's more of a heart issue. But listen to what Paul said in Romans 1, 20 and 21. He says, for God's invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. They didn't see all the wonderful and good things that God, our creator, has provided, rain and the sun and, and food and everything else. The book of James, we read, every good and perfect gift comes from God. If there's any goodness at all that you have, it comes from God. But God expects us to show this gratitude. And so if you have food to eat, be grateful. If you have clothing to wear, what it looks like all of you do, be grateful. If you have a house to live in, a roof over your head, be grateful. If you have family members that love you, be grateful. If you have friends, be grateful. If you know God, be grateful. If you're able to enjoy anything at all, be grateful. If you're going to heaven, be really grateful. If you know Jesus, be grateful. If you're here this morning, you should be grateful. If you're watching online, you should be grateful. Do you get it? The list could go on and on. There's so many things for which we're grateful, if, again, if we see it. And so gratitude begins with seeing properly, and then God expects us to show this gratitude for all the good things he's done for us. But finally, last point is that uh, expressing gratitude results in greater blessings. I believe that the Samaritan walked away with something that the other nine did not receive. And I think the way this works many times is that when we express gratitude, God blesses us in other ways. You know? It's not real obvious from the text, but let me demonstrate what happened here. Luke 17, 19, we read, and he, Jesus, told the Samaritan, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So the guy had fallen down and was worshiping there, and Jesus said, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. What's not obvious from this text, and some of your versions say your faith has healed you. What's not obvious from the text is that the word that's used here, the Greek word that's used here, is different than the previous words for healing in this story. The, the Greek word here is saved. Your faith has saved you is what Jesus literally said. Your faith has saved you. Earlier, he used a different word for healing. 
In verses 14 and 15, it says, when he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were healed. But one of them, seeing he was healed. So that word healed in both places, it's a different word. When he saw he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. Uh, the word there can be translated healed, but it literally means cleansed. They had been cleansed, or they were looking to be cleansed. And they found that they were suddenly cleansed, and now they were able to go to the temple. Now they were able to go home and be with people. And it was a, a blessed thing, a wonderful thing. But when this guy, this Samaritan, came before Christ and gave him glory, Christ said, your faith has saved you. I don't think it was a physical thing at all. I think he found Jesus. That's what he got in exchange for coming back. Dr. Jameson puts it this way, the Samaritan was healed not as the others, merely in body, but in that higher spiritual sense. Dr. Stein puts it this way, whereas the other nine received God's word and believed for a time, they fell short of the ultimate healing, i.e. experiencing the divine salvation. Most of the miracles in the Bible that Jesus performed were meant to point to him as the Savior, but they didn't come back, and so I don't think they discovered that, but the Samaritan did. But when we show gratitude, I think it opens the door for God to do greater things for us. The, the picture that comes to my mind, and, and you can't probably relate to this unless you're a little bit older, or maybe you can, but in my generation, if someone sends you a gift or gives you something, you're to send a thank you letter or a note, you know, a card, thank you. But people don't do that much anymore. They don't send thank you cards very much. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you're older, like me and older. But I'm curious how many of you that are older have given a gift to somebody or sent some money to somebody and they did not set a thank you back to you. And it, you begin to think about that situation a little differently. I have to admit, it's kind of like with, those, with those, that family my, the thought comes to my mind if I go out on my way and really help in a big way, but there's no show of appreciation. In my mind, I think, well, I'm not going to help you again. You're not grateful. You're entitled is what you are. And if there's not this expression of gratitude, I don't want to open up my heart anymore. Now, I still do it. But I have a feeling if you ask the older generation, or you ask them, have you been tempted to not give anything the next time because they didn't show gratitude? I bet you the answer is yes. Now let me summarize and give a few applications. Gratitude begins by seeing properly. God expects us to show gratitude and I think it opens the door to some greater blessings. I think it also reveals something about our heart. Dr. Warren Wearsby notes this idea about how when miners used to go into mines, that they bring with them a canary because mines have methane and other kinds of gases that you can't smell. And a canary's metabolism is such that it's very sensitive to the air quality. So they bring in these canaries and if the canary stopped singing or chirping, it would indicate that something was wrong. And then it would fall over in the cage and they'd realize they gotta get out of there. Wearsby mentions this idea and says, when we don't have a heart that sings anymore, something is wrong, or applying it to what we're talking about here today, when our heart no longer has gratitude, when our heart 
stop singing, something is wrong. We need to be people who are grateful. So let me give you a few possible practical applications. One is maybe consider spending some time uh, writing in a journal the things for which you're grateful. I know some people that do that every day. They just have a, a, a gratitude journal. And by the way, you'd be healthier mentally and everything else if you did that. Scientific studies, not Christian studies, just regular, well, they can be Christian too. But studies out there, secular studies out there, indicate that people who have gratitude, it just changes the quality of their lives. A gratitude journal. Or the second idea came from Josh Rhodes, a, a gratitude pumpkin. Uh, their family does this, I understand, where as they lead up to Thanksgiving, they've got this pumpkin, and they, they pass it around the table every meal. And they keep adding to it all the things they're grateful for. This person's grateful for music and love and Christmas. Quesadillas is on there. I see Harry Potter, <laughs> Netflix. But it's just a gratitude pumpkin, and it's just a visible reminder that we're to be people who are grateful. Third, I want to encourage you to consider on Thanksgiving Day pulling away. I do this every year without fail. There's a certain point after we've enjoyed our meal and everything else, I go up in my bedroom or somewhere where I can be alone and I spend time just thanking God for all the things. I want Thanksgiving Day to be about thankfulness to Him. And then a final application applies just for those of you that are in the building. You'll notice out in the lobby there is a big display board and some post-it notes. And I want to encourage you that before you leave, maybe take a minute to write down one or more things for which you're grateful and just stick them on the board as just a practical thing. Because I think it's important if, if we feel God is addressing something in our lives that we take steps sooner than later. Time passes, we forget what we've learned. But if we're willing to just take that step, I encourage you to do that. Write something for which you're grateful and then place it on that board. Let's pray. Father, we have uh, so much for which we can be grateful. We acknowledge that we don't always see all the good. You've blessed us in so many ways, O oh Lord. Even the fact we're here today is a, a, just a tremendous blessing. The fact that we live in this country is a tremendous blessing, O oh Lord. We especially, Lord, are grateful for eternal life through your son, Jesus. We ask you, Lord, if anyone here doesn't know Jesus Christ, they put their trust in him today, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But we want to be people of gratitude, who express gratitude, who see it, and acknowledge you for all the good that you've done for us. Help us to be that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.